and welcome to an exhausted episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. We are recording directly after the uh, Arsenal-Benfica second leg, so lots to talk about with that. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, it's... uh... (laughs) It's been a stressful evening to say the least. Uh, everyone should will know the score by the time this goes out, but obviously Arsenal have just beaten Benfica 3-2 um, to go through in the Europa League. Um, it was a very, very tense affair, not particularly enjoyable to be a part of, um, made worse by the fact that Arsenal are playing in Athens and we can't be there to, uh, to revel in this glory, but... Andre, immediate, uh, rather than do what we normally do, which is a commentary quiz, we've decided to park that this week because there's so much to talk about with mm. regards to the Europa League and obviously the Man City game as well. And although I wanted to, initially when I was planning this, I was thinking, OK, well, we'll go through the game systematically and go 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 in order. I don't think we can do that. I think we need to jump <laughs> in straight away with what's happened tonight. Um, so, Andre, what, what did you make of uh, that tonight? <laughs> Well, well, I mean, relief. Relief is the the overwhelming emotion. I have to say, when we went 2-1 down, I was sat on my sofa, um, head in hands, um, desolate, thinking about how the season's over, how it won't matter anymore, how Arteta's got to go, how (laughs) it's the worst of the worst that we could ever have imagined going out like this again in the Europa League. Um, And then Bukayo Saka with his left wand puts in a wonderful cross to our captain who is, you know, that's what he's about. And we'll get into all of this. There's so much to unpack. But when he headed home, the first thing I thought was, don't concede. Don't concede. And when Benfica hit the post, in the last minute, as their cross went in, I just went, it's in, it's in. And I announced to that to anyone that would listen that it was in, <laughs> and we survived. And my goodness, I'm just so relieved. I am just so, so, so relieved. I'm not even happy. Do you know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm just yeah. relieved. I'm just relieved. What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, let, let's just say it's been a, a roller coaster of an evening. Um, and I felt reasonably happy when we went 1-0 up and felt like we were in control of the game. Then, obviously, we let in that free kick and stupid foul by Sabayas to give it away. Um, and then, obviously, you felt very deflated after that. And we started the second half not 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 particularly great for the first few minutes and then sort of got a foothold. And I just... You know how infuriated I get at bad defending. Mm-hmm. And a long ball by their goalkeeper over the top... <laughs> to be defended as poorly as Danny Ceballos defended it, um, left me seething. And like you, I was sat with my head in my hands. Uh, my fiance Laura, um, she announced, oh dear, what's he doing? As Danny Ceballos was doing that, which I didn't need at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, then, and then I was completely flat and I thought that was game over then. And like you, I went through all of the possible scenarios for the aftermath of, the, of that game. And was thinking about all the variables and everything that's going to come out. And I was thinking about what we could talk about on this podcast on the back of that defeat. And much like when I was uh, when I was doing my sports journalism days, I had to basically rip everything up in the last five minutes and start again. Um, but 
Yeah, I know what you mean about that overriding. As much as you want to be happy, it, it is just that relief and just the the knowledge that our season will go on to fight another day. But uh, a far from enjoyable evening. And uh, my, my dad texted me halfway through asking me how my heart was. And I said, it's beating significantly faster than it's meant to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, no. A hundred percent. No, look, I had the same text, just more about his heart, um, more than anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, where do you want to start? I, 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 I think let's try and do this in some sort of um, how it all un- unpacked. What did you make of the starting eleven? I, I didn't have too many issues with it. I think, I think we all knew that Thomas Party wasn't going to start. Um, it was yeah. a tall order to expect him to to come straight back into the into the eleven. Um, Obviously, it was good to see Kieran Tierney still in the in the side, um, and then I, I yeah I didn't I didn't really mind the eleven. I was quite quite happy with it, um, and I and again I, I I think I was happy that we persisted with um, Aubameyang down the middle because at one mm. point I thought maybe there might be a case that Aubameyang might go out to the left and Lacazette might come in. Um, so I was I was glad with that because it does feel like although. I mean, we'll talk about the Man City game, I'm sure, at some point. But although Aubameyang didn't do much in that game, the last few games against teams that we're realistically more competing with, um, he has looked far more like his old self. So it's been um, a welcome welcome return uh, for Aubameyang, if we think back to his hat-trick against Leeds and then obviously the two that he got tonight. And even in the first leg, he he had three great chances and he could easily have had a hat-trick that night as well. So that was good. Mm. Um, what about you? Were you happy with the lineup? Well, I was surprised that Cedric didn't come in for Bellerin to freshen things up. Uh, I was also quite surprised that he persisted with Erdegaard and Smithrow as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we beat Leeds, and it seems like Arteta has a. How can I put this? A tendency to pick a team that worked once, despite there being flaws in it, the second time. He really only seems to focus on the fact it worked once. And what I'm finding quite surprising, and it does build into some of the frustration uh, I've got at the moment, and I think why I can't quite sort of let go and and love what's going on at the moment. Our season changed when Smith-Rowe played in the number 10 position. We brought in a player on loan, and as far as I was concerned, that player was to come in as backup to Smith Rowe, and he's displaced him with no merit. And I found that very, very frustrating today, to be perfectly honest. And I, I think that sort of played out in the game itself. Um, I, I, I quite like Erdegaard. I think he's got, you know, he looks like a good player, and certainly provides depth and gives us more technical security. But I do think we look a we look a worse team when Smith Rowe isn't in the number ten position, and I was disappointed to not see that tonight. And and tonight proved it. If you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I I, I do agree with you because I I I can't remember who I was speaking to before the game, but I I said um, it might be my dad, but I did say about that I thought maybe Odegaard might come out because he's played quite a lot of football recently, and and prior to joining Arsenal, he hadn't played for months, had he really? Um, so I thought there might be some rotation there. And I agree with everything you're saying, that um, the best football we've played this season has been with Smith-Rowe in that number 10 slot. And 
he's not the same player when he's out on the left. He wants to drift in. He wants to come and be a central part of what's going on whilst also being mindful of what he needs to do on the left-hand side. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement on, uh, on, on that statement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, do you know what? We've just won, so let's focus on some positives. Um, <laughs> I, I, got, I, I sort of don't want to steal your thunder, but I, I felt um, going 1-0 down, uh, sorry, going 1-0 up, just sublime finish. I think what you said about Aubameyang is bang on. And when he's hot, he's hot. And in this central strike position, t- t- you know, we'll talk about the Man City game shortly. Um, but, but taking that game aside, it almost doesn't count. Um, he's been electric in finding goal-scoring opportunities. Uh, I know he had a bit of a mare in the first leg. Um and I, I sort of think we've got to talk about the two times, but I've got to talk about Kieran Tierney because he is a leader. And when he rifled in that second, the whole complexion changed and I kind of knew we'd get it done. I didn't really know how because we're not a team that scores late, but I just knew, I just knew. And, and only he scores that goal. I can't explain it. How our left back um, is the only player who scores that goal that drags us from from this painful defeat I don't know but I was so proud of him and just so happy he did that because it changed everything yeah uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the thunder straight back now because you know obviously my feelings towards Kieran Tierney (laughs) Um, I texted you at the time and just said I love Katie and you replied to uh, echo the same sentiment and it's he's just as you say he's a leader um, he's someone who I think should have the armband. I can't think of anyone in the Arsenal squad that would be more deserving and a, a more worthy captain than Kieran Tierney. Um, and obviously, I know that's very difficult when you've already got a captain in the club. And I don't think it ultimately really matters. No. But he, but he is the one that you look at and think he's a proper, proper leader. He's a proper old school left back with that sort of twist of what the new generation of fullback needs. And it's just so good to see us having someone who can do something out of nothing to dig us back in. And as you said, no one else was going to score that goal. No one else was going to take on the chance from that angle. And he's just thought, right, we need a goal. Let's get back into this. And just what a hit. What a hit. Oh, and the minute it left his boot, it was in. Um, yeah, did, I, I, lo- I, I loved his celebration as well. He's just just screaming and running straight back. It's just like, that's what you want when you need another goal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, and look, it's such a hard game to analyse, right? Because, and I wrote this after the first tie, because of course, um, we we said we'd record this week. One reason or another, we decided to, to do it post um, second leg. So this is this is a three in one game pod, and I wrote after the first leg: if we don't win this tie, it's a disgrace. It is sackable. Um, because I felt, I mean, what did Benfica offer across two ties? Absolutely Yet, nothing. Skin of our teeth. <laughs> you know that's what, and that's what worries me about the rest. Of it. I think why I feel so flat. It's because if we went and did a really professional job tonight, win 2-0, you'd probably go, OK, yeah, we can probably roll over quite a few teams. But I heard a point on another podcast I listened to, and I think it's absolutely perfect. And I think it sort of describes our current plight. When we should beat the other team, we don't know what to do. When we need to defend, we're great. 
But at the minute, we've sort of lost that. But when it's in the middle, like Benfica, when you sort of don't know if we're better than them, that's when we're at our worst. Like, when we should beat a team, we kind of, you know, not Burnley, and, and I'm not talking about earlier in the season, I'm talking about this recent renaissance. We sort of find a way. When we're a lesser team, we've sort of got a style that means we don't get cut to ribbons, apart from the first 10 minutes of the City game. But when it's quite even, or at least we perceive it's even, we just play the game in such a sterile way that means we don't kill them. And we've just got to kill them. We've got... We've got to lean into that because all our talent is at the top end of the pitch. And I do think we're playing in a way that stifles that, which means you just you leave yourself liable to a, you know what is a great free kick, a penalty and one mistake from from Ceballos. You know, and, and here we are. We've just about snuck it and somehow conceded three goals to one of the worst teams we played this season. They, I, I, I need to go back to obviously how bad they they are as a team because they they don't offer anything. They are so so negative as a football team. Everything they do is is conservative. And I particularly after the first leg, I, I thought they offered a little bit more tonight. But even then, not 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 really. Um, but after the first leg, um, I mean, we should have been out of sight. The tie should have been put to bed. And that's like what, like what you say. That's not what we do. We don't, we don't do that. We don't put teams um, aside. Um, the only team I can think of us doing that recently, really, was obviously if we think back to the Leeds game, we, we obviously put four past them. But that I would say that's more down to how Leeds play. Um, sort of played into mm. our hands a little bit. And then before that, we're looking at the West Brom game and, and look where they are. Um, so... It is a, it is a concern, and tonight when we went one 0 up, we just seemed to stop playing. We stopped trying to force the issue, and even when we did score, it didn't feel like there was much urgency within the game, um, and it didn't feel like we were doing much to try and ask too many questions of Benfica. Um, and I don't know if that's because we we physically can't and we don't have the answers, or whether it's it's an intentional tactic, which I would find quite odd because it, it's clearly not working. Um, mm. But, but it's, it's enormously alarming. And what I said to my dad uh, post-game um, when I said we were doing the podcast, I said one of the central themes is that we must be dreaming if we think we can win the Europa League this year. <laughs> because you look at some of the teams that are in it and you look at how, at, at how we're playing and how much we're struggling against certain teams. I just don't see how it's a possibility at all, and I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. I'd love to be proved wrong, but I just don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll come to that, because I've got the teams. I know it's it's half-time of the uh, later kickoffs as we speak. Um, I, I want to I ask you some questions on that shortly. But oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think that's... Uh, well, well, do you know what, Sonny? Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Okay, so... So we've got the list of teams now. Now I'm just going to take whoever's through, or, or if it's undecided, I'll read both teams. Okay, so um, I'm going to say the team, and you you give me a sort of, uh, I'd say one, like give me a percentage chance, you know, to the nearest 10% before we get too technical, that you think <laughs> we can get through this tie over 43. two legs. 43.43%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've run it through the Tomatron. Um, okay, okay, uh, first up. Uh, Ajax. 20 percent <laughs> okay okay yeah I think that was a bit harsh I think uh, Ajax I think 40 percent I think we we've got more of a chance there okay Granada 
I don't know much about Granada. I'll, I'll be brutally no, honest. No, they've knocked out Napoli, but Granada are not much of a team. I, I would say... That's got to be a 50 percent. <laughs> no, no. 51. <laughs> no, we said we wouldn't do that. 60 it is. Uh, okay, Rangers. This is the thing. I was thinking about when you when we started this podcast, I was thinking about who we could potentially get and thinking, I don't want Rangers. I would if there was fans available, because that would be great. Yes. But in this yes. current climate, I just don't fancy us at all within that, no. that sort of time. Um, I, I, I'd still say you'd probably put it, well, you'd have to put us as favourites, but I, I wouldn't fancy it at all. So I'd probably put another 60% on that one. Okay, okay. Shakhtar Donetsk. Horrible place to go to. Well, I mean, we, yeah. we, we always struggle when we have to go there. Yeah, but it might not be there. You know, we it did nearly not. get knocked out on away goals having played in Greece and Rome. <laughs> that was so okay. Arsenal. I, I think Shakhtar, we're, we're probably talking another 60%. I'd, I'd, I'd fancy us just about. Okay. Moulder. <laughs> I, I don't see how on earth we don't qualify against Mulder, so okay. I'm going to say ninety percent. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I agree. By the way, and having looked at this list, they're the only ones you're saying that for. I'm here to tell you. Okay, Unai Emery's Villarreal, who I can confirm we will be playing. <laughs> I mean, that's just a story written in itself. So that's that's got to be a twenty percent chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, young boys or Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, young boys are four three up on aggregate as it stands. So either of those, uh, either of those, we're pro- we're probably <laughs> we're probably struggle against young boys. <laughs> <laughs> the worst team name in the world. Awful, and then I'll, I'll just read out the rest because you got Club Bruges or Dynamo Kiev. Uh, again, struggle with Eastern Europe if that's who we get. Uh, Zagreb uh, are probably through, and of course you and I have. Uh, have uh, visited there, of course. Lovely, lovely away day. A shout out to um, Bruno and um, Nick Nika, I think. Is it Nika? I mean, if, if they're not, not listening, I'm going to be disappointed. I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> I, I, I suspect they're not listening, but they're Instagram friends, friends forever. Leicester still drawing with Slavia Prague. I mean, and then Man U 4 0, AC Milan, Red Star Belgrade, uh, 3 all on aggregate at the time recording. PSV via Olympiacos. We don't want Olympiacos and Roma through. I mean, when you read those clubs out and you look at where they are in their respective tables and how we're playing, honestly, the only team I think we'll definitely beat is Mulder. Yeah. And I was actually looking at our run of fixtures and we've got Tottenham at home sandwiched between the two legs. Um, Can you imagine if we've got them three times in a week? It doesn't even bear thinking about. And then we've got West Ham. Go on, what were you going to say? No, no, I was just going to say it's horrific if we if we did have to play them three times. <laughs> Absolutely horrific. Um, and and just a, a scenario that you don't see a particularly positive outcome for us from those scenarios. <laughs> no, no. And what's crazy is I look at all those teams and I think they could beat them over two legs. And I, I'm, I, it's terrible. I just don't think we can win the Europa League. And I think they can. And I just need someone, ideally Manchester United at this point, to knock them out because it's just very tough at the minute. And it's it's just, I don't know, I, I just, I'm so relieved we're through because you never want to go out at that earlier stage. 
But unless we get Mulder, I just don't. I just don't see how we get through. It's terrible. I just, I just don't see it. And it's so, it's so worrying. It's so worrying to feel like that. As you know, if this was two years, two three years ago, I'd be looking at it going. I'd actually fancy us against anyone. I don't know if that's true anymore. No, no, no. It's it's not unfortunately. Um, but it's just, it is so hard to. I mean, this sounds like a really negative podcast because obviously we're we're recording straight up, and I think the reason why we're sometimes quite wary of doing that is because um, emotions often run quite high. But this is this should be like the way that we won should be a bit more buoyant than we are. But it's just so hard to get too excited because, as you say, before we got the equaliser and then went on to get the winner, we were both having internal conversations with ourselves about the future of Mikel Arteta and and thinking about what that means for the future of Arsenal Football Club. And, but in reality, we we got through tonight, but ultimately, if we go out in the next round or we go out in the round after that, it doesn't really make all that much of a difference Mm. because we still are not going to win a trophy and we're still not going to get back into the Champions League. So it's it's very difficult to enjoy tonight that much, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It does. And something I think you wanted to talk about, certainly, I know it's all... Uh, I think because we haven't really talked about the Man City game, and I think this was uh, evident there as well. I wanted to say, just on the City game, is there anything more lockdown football than Man City, the oil-infested club, keeping us at arm's length and we're swinging like a small child uh, trying to attack (laughs) in an empty stand. (laughs) Like, is there anything more Man City than them just playing us off the park at the Emirates and just keeping us at arm's length, basically barely having to break a sweat? I just honestly, the, the way they're walking the league is just like, yeah, COVID. COVID in a football team. Yeah, but like... Just because obviously we've mentioned the Man City game, we might as well sort of touch on it a little bit. That is, I I was after that game, I was so flat after that game and not because we lost to Manchester City because ultimately we were not going to beat Man City. We knew that. But it was the fact that on the face of it, at times we didn't play too badly. We kept them sort of without creating too much, really. And on the face of it, you sort of like, oh, it wasn't too bad. And then the more you sort of delve into it, the more you're like, well, Man City knew what they were doing. The second way they went 1-0 up, it was game over. <laughs> and yeah, they, they, that was in the first minute. <laughs> yeah, and you just thought, I, like, I, I can't remember the last time I was quite that miserable watching a football match because I watched all of it and it was just hopelessly without optimism the entire time. And it just made me really, really mm. sad watching. And the golfing class between what we're doing and what they're doing is is absolutely enormous. And I know Pep Guardiola keeps coming out and being very complimentary of Mikel Arteta and Arsenal um, and saying that we're not that far away from challenging, that we're dominating games. And it's just like, well, it's all pleasantries, isn't it? It's all pleasantries just to, just because it's his mate, Mikel. And I'm not saying it's sympathy and, or anything like that, but it just does feel like he's just being overly sympathetic and overly kind with his words because it's his friend. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to pretend to 
have my knowledge of football on the same level as Pep Guardiola. So I'm, so I'm sure he knows a lot more about what's going on than I do. But I just I don't see it. I don't see where the the positivity is at the moment. Um, looking looking ahead, we've got Leicester on the weekend. That's another one that you you struggle to see us getting anything from that game. Um, albeit more of a chance than the Man City one. So it's it's so hard to be positive about Arsenal at the moment. It really is. It really is. And I think uh, one of the themes in both the City game and tonight and probably the first leg well, and a lot of this season that I don't think we've got anywhere near enough um, in our discussion is, is the substitutions by Mikel Arteta. Yeah. Um, they they leave a lot to, to be desired, basically. And I know inexperience comes in here, but, but what, I know you wanted to, to sort of touch on those. Yeah, I did want to touch on those because it's it's a topic that keeps coming up on social media and it keeps coming up um, amongst Arsenal fans about how Mikel Arteta's substitutions are not impactful and they just seem to be the wrong substitutions at the wrong times. Um, I can't even think what the substitutions were against Man City. I know they were bizarre, but I can't remember what they were. What, no, what I think... Were they? Uh... Oh God! Um, well, I think the thing with Man City was he—he—it uh, was the lateness of the substitutions, yes. and also I do think the fact he didn't rest players, um, which nearly took its toll today, um, because I felt Bukayo Saka's running on empty at the minute, still producing two wonderful assists, but he's running on empty. Um, yeah, and you know he'll start on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he has to. Yeah, it's it's what it's worrying with him, but like uh, it's. I think the big thing is like tonight. I I don't think in, on reflection. Initially, I thought his substitutions were pretty poor tonight, and I think I I still do think that. But obviously, bringing Thomas Party on was probably the obvious one because he's so much quicker moving the ball, so you can justify that one. Mm. Um, the William one again. You just it's, I didn't think he was that bad tonight. I did, but I didn't think he he did anything exceptional. I know he technically got an assist for the Tierney goal, but that was a five yard pass. Um, so that was another one which it, his substitutions. He seems to be persisting with the experienced players when maybe that's not the tactic to take. Um, and I look at someone like Gabriel Martinelli who. I've seen lots of stuff written about online about how Mikel Arteta maybe is using him. And I'm not sure that one's entirely fair just because we don't know what the situation with is with Martinelli's fitness. And obviously he's recovering from a, a really serious injury. Mm. So I think there's probably an element of that involved with why he's not being used as much as, as we maybe think he should. But even Nicola Pepe coming on, I'd rather have him coming on instead of um, William. But it's just his substitutions just don't change the games. They don't. They don't seem to have a meaningful impact, and that's mm. what's so frustrating at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I think they throw us into a, a sort of spiral of being really unstructured as well. Um, I thought taking Bellerin off and leaving us with no right hand side was was crazy. I mean, but the thing is though, like, what do we know? The goal came from there. Um, yeah. So it does, but I, I just felt there was a period where Benfica kept the ball for fun, and our shape was all over the place. But as well, I think we we do have a manager where we just don't understand 
the thinking behind the substitutions yet. I still think this is partly sort of our coming out of the Wenger era where you knew what he minutes do. happening, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, Thomas Party for Zabayos, absolutely. Um, Willian for Smith-Rowe, you're sort of going, re- like, because we see it, and it is a game of opinions, but I'd go take Odegaard off, put Smith-Rowe at the number 10. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think there's a long way to go. I mean, like we said, I think there's, there's the Europa League draw tomorrow is going to be absolutely massive for us. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I just look at the league table. I think the reason we felt so flat as well, while we were, you know, losing and out the tie at 2-1 down. Um, and actually, sorry, on their second goal, I have never been happier about a goalkeeper not like taking one for the team. It was absolutely the right choice yeah, to let him it really, score. It and really was. I was so proud of him. And more of our players need to do that. You know, with Ceballos, the guy skipped past him, but he was going nowhere. Let him go. It's sort of that maturity in the game. And it was great to see Bert Leno do that because with 10 men, free kick there, change your goalkeeper. We got no chance, right? And it's the yeah. most excruciating uh, wait until... The, uh, so I was really pleased he did that. Um, Sidetrack there, but it, just, it was one of the more pleasing aspects of the game. Hilarious. One of the goals we conceded is more, one of the more pleasing aspects of the game. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> what a moment. No, but look, I'm thrilled we won. Thrilled we won. Um, but I was looking at the league table. I was looking at the fixtures and when we've got them, plus Europa. Um, we're 11th at the minute. So so when we last spoke, um, <laughs> we, were, we were a bit higher than that. I think we were 10th. We'd just beaten Leeds. We were quite buoyant. Um, the top half finish in sight. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, where what's incredible is how we're only six points behind Liverpool. Um, yeah. But where do you think we're going to finish this season? There's there's another third of the season to go. No one's happy with how we're playing. No one's particularly playing that well in our in our team except Saka. Um, it still looks like a bit of a conservative sort of. Um, approach that's that's really I, I do think it's restricting us massively. What's your gut feel about where we finish this season? Uh, I don't think we get into the Europa League personally. I think we'll finish um, between, I don't even know when the, it confuses me now obviously with the uh, Europa, uh, the UEFA Conference League that's coming in play what, what positions get you what now um, and what Cup competitions get you well. I think I think the League Cup drops down to the UEFA Conference now. I think it does. It does. Um, and is is there a league place for the UEFA Conference? I'm not sure. I actually don't know. I know the FA Cup winners get that, and therefore, if the FA Cup winners finish in the top, finish fifth, for example, I yeah. think the league place then goes to the whatever it's called. <laughs> The UEFA Conference, yeah. So uh, it's it, it feels like it's almost like a throwback to the Cup Winners' Cup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, either way, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked now. But um, I I th- I can see us finishing between eighth and eleventh. I, I I just I just don't see how we're gonna overtake that many teams. And I know it's all pretty bunched up there, but. Um, Particularly if you look at, obviously we play Leicester on the weekend. Is it is it Tottenham after that? Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. No. It's no. Not. It's Burnley away. Burnley. Burnley away. That's another one which we don't. <laughs> not look overly looking forward to that one. <laughs> no. um, so you look at the next few fixtures and think, okay, well, 
how's how are we going to get on in those? And then and then you look towards the end of the season, and it's it's so hard to see us finishing higher than that. And that's my gut instinct is that we'll finish between eighth and eleventh. Mm. What about you? What are you thinking? I, 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 is it? It is so hard to know, isn't it? Because who have we still got to play? We've still got to play Chelsea. We've still got to play West Ham. We've still got to play Liverpool. We've still got to play Everton. We've still got to play Tottenham, who are all above us. Um, and, of course, Leicester. Uh, win all of those. Um... <laughs> top, top four's on. <laughs> um, I don't know. I look at it, 13 games left. I just don't think we'll win more than five. No. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I just don't see how we do. And, and this team without Europe, it's interesting about the rebuild. Because I, I, I've got some things I wanted to, to ask you. So, of course... Um, We've got this far into the podcast without talking about Schalke watch. Oh, what's been going on there? Uh, ooh, well, Mustafi didn't play in the... Um, oh, I don't know the name of the derby. Is it the Rhine? No, I'm I don't not, know. I'm not sure. I, I did see he was on the bench, wasn't he? He was on the bench. Kolasinac played and they got drubbed 4-0 by Erling Haaland, who is amazing to watch. Uh, have you seen the goal? I've not seen the goal, no. I will, I, will look, goal. I, will look it, I will look it up. Uh, a sort of, um, not a bicycle kick, but a, a sort of scissor kick in the air, crosses behind him and he, he belts it in. Um, I, I seem to be watching many Bundesliga highlights now in, in lieu of um, Mustafi, Kolasinac and Gwenduzi being there. And talking of Gwenduzi, um he made a catastrophic error in his own box. I've seen his error. I've seen his error. He did that against um, Bournemouth when we beat them 5-1. Um a couple of seasons ago, um, maybe three seasons ago, he is susceptible to that. Torreira's not playing. And I was thinking about sort of what's going to happen and this great rebuild we're going to have to do. And you just look at it and you go, Quinduzzi is not actually that good a player. He can't, he's, he's not starting for Hertha Berlin. Torreira's not playing for Atletico. I mean, there's already two midfielders and some money there that surely we can find something more, more you know, useful for us yeah um, what do you make of the fact how they're to, those two respective loans are going particularly because that is our, our problem is still quite central midfield really um before i go into that i've just whilst you were talking looked up the harlan goal and it is special it, it really is, is. It is very special um so <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed that one um now back to the question you actually asked me um <sighs> I, I I don't think you could really say either are going particularly well. To, as you said, Torreira's not playing. Um, I can't believe we couldn't have found a better place for him to go because realistically, I didn't really see him going there and and playing much anyway. Um, mm. it, it, it felt like a, a bizarre one. And if I'm right in, in thinking when Party left, they signed Kondogbia, didn't they? They did. So they kind of signed someone as a replacement um, without Lucas Torreira being uh, being needed there, so it felt like a bizarre one from that standing. The other thing with with Lucas Torreira that I don't understand is that to me Torreira offers more as a footballer than El Nene. He's a, he's a more proactive footballer, albeit he still is quite sideways, keeping it short and simple. But to me, he he is a better footballer than El Nene. So yeah. I, I I I 
don't really understand the whole rationale behind bringing Elneny back from loan and sending Torreira out. So I don't think that's worked. Um, and if he was going to go, I just think there's we need to find a permanent solution for that because it's not sustainable to have as many players that are senior players out on loan as we do have. Um, yeah. Guendouzi, I've not heard much about him particularly tearing it up. Obviously, I saw the mistake that he made on the weekend, which was pretty pretty shambolic. And in a typical Matteo Guendouzi way, he then went and complained to the referee. <laughs> so um, I don't think that one's sort of going to plan either. And he's another one that you don't look at and think has got a, a long-term future at Arsenal. And it's another one that you need. To, we need to find a permanent solution for so we can bring in some revenue and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be another big summer, not just incomings, but without goings again. And so much of that is going to depend on what's happening with any European football. Because I've seen I've seen some arguments of people saying that it would be a positive for us to not be in, in any European football next year. But personally, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think the revenue alone that even the Europa League brings in is significant enough that we would feel the effects of that. And if you're a club that's not competing in Europe at all, then then you've got the issue of attracting players to come to your club. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, a difficult one. But the, the way that we're using our loans, uh, our current senior players for loans um, to other clubs is, isn't working. No, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, Willock gave away a penalty as well. It's... Um... It's going quite disastrously as well. So it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. But look, we've got to just hope. We beat Benfica. We're on the way. We're going to win the Europa somehow, despite our negativity. Um, next up, next question I've got for you, Tom. I know he scored two goals today. In the wake of Olivier Giroud scoring an overhead kick against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, um, I, I, I've got to ask you, if you could take, and sort of reverse time and keep Giroud and not get Aubameyang, considering everything, considering how much money we spent on Aubameyang, considering where else that could have gone resource-wise for a club, considering our trajectory, and despite how much we love Aubameyang, if you could go back, would you make that transfer again? I think I would, but, I, but I'd go back a, a step further because I think the, the reason why that all came about and was as disastrous as it was, was because we signed Lacazette and that didn't work as much as we thought it would. And then obviously we brought Aubameyang in, wanted to bring Aubameyang in as well. And I think the ideal scenario would have been to have Aubameyang and Olivier Giroud as, mm. as your two strikers. And by having... Lacazette already there as a new signing and then bringing in another new signing. The only one that was likely to go was going to be Giroud. So I wouldn't I wouldn't change the fact that we got a Bamiang and I wanted to keep Giroud. I wouldn't do that, but I was still enormously disappointed when he left. I was even more disappointed when he went to Chelsea. Yeah. Um and the fact that we had to do that deal in such a roundabout way, because I think it was Batshuari going to Dortmund, Aubameyang mm-hmm. coming to us and Giroud going to Chelsea. And I just, I, I think my big regret is I would have liked to, a way of manufacturing that deal where Chelsea didn't get a player from us because it's just, it's, it's, sorry, I'll just drop something. <laughs> um, Sound like you dropped Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I dropped Olivier Giroud on his, on his head, unfortunately. But... Um, <laughs> 
yeah, I, I think that's the big thing for me, that that would have been the ideal. And it still yeah. hurts. Every time that Giroud does something positive, I hate seeing him so happy in a Chelsea shirt because mm-hmm. it just looks wrong. He He's an, an Arsenal man. He scored over 100 goals for Arsenal Football Club. Mm-hmm. Um, he shouldn't be playing for one of our rivals and doing as well as he is. Um, what is infuriating me about Giroud whilst we're on that is that all of a sudden, everyone thinks he's a fantastic player. Well, no, no one thought that when he was at Arsenal. Everyone thought he was a, he was a donkey when he was at Arsenal. If you read the, read the newspapers and listen to talk sport. And now all of a sudden, he's the greatest player who's ever graced the uh, planet Earth. And it just it frustrates me so much because he's the same player that he always was. He has these periods, these purple patches where he scores goals and he's very efficient. And then he might go months without doing anything. This is what Olivier Giroud is. He, you, you have to take him at face value because you get what you get with Olivier Giroud. Mm, mm, yeah, no. Rant over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I've got to say, if I factor in his goal in the Europa League against us, I, I actually would say I wouldn't have done it. I think all things considered, despite the FA Cup, despite how much I love Aubameyang, I wouldn't have done it. I really wouldn't. Um, all in all, I agree with you that if you could do anything and go back in time, the Lacazette one wasn't the one. And I get why we did it. I wouldn't have done, you know? I just think, yeah. I look at Giroud, and I agree with you. Like, I, I saw the most amazing tweet. It was like, uh, if how am I going to tell my kids when they grow up that someone who scored nearly 100 Premier League goals, someone who scored the calibre of goals that he has, nearly, uh, he's almost France's record goal scorer, was absolutely rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> because he was, there's so many times, I remember he, there was a patch, and I do think, I, I think it was a, a season we've often talked about, um, whenever Leicester won the league. He didn't score for about 10 league games. And it and cost us could, the league. <laughs> it cost us the league. And like, how do you explain that this man, who, like you said, gets, gets all these plaudits, is the same player? He cost us because he was our only striker. Oh, God. Olivier Giroud, my goodness. But yeah, it was it was hard to watch him score that goal. Um, I was desperate for it to get disallowed. Desperate for it to get disallowed. <laughs> 100%. 100%. But, you know, I'm sure he'll appear in another commentary quiz or, or, or throwback soon. But yeah, right now, absolutely fuming at him. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think... Um, I think we just got to hope for a positive draw tomorrow. Hope some of our rivals knock each other out. I am just looking at this draw, and the more I'm looking at it, I mean, Leicester are losing. I've just seen that. I've just seen that. And that they've got to score two goals to get through that. And I do think with the randomness of uh, where home or away fixtures are, you know, it's just the English teams that worry me. And if they, the, the most, an Ajax. And you look at it and suddenly, I don't know, I'm suddenly feeling more confident as as talking to you and time dissipates. You just never know, Tom. You just never know. You do just never know. So, look, look. I, I, I would love nothing more than to be proved wrong and for us to go uh, on a wonderful run and end up lifting a trophy at the end of the campaign. Um, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Like you say, if the draw goes our way tomorrow, a couple of, let's say, Man United get Tottenham um, and we get Mulder, then you don't know. You you just you, you don't know how things could go. We might get a really favourable run. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, 
fingers crossed for that. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that we haven't covered? Because obviously we've uh... no. I mean, we normally do. You know, we normally have our theme and our commentary, but with three games to go, I mean, I don't think we can really talk about the first leg uh, once the second happens. Um, I think we've just got to leave on this note. Um, knocking Jan Vertonghen out of a competition for me is always welcomed. Yeah, and that makes everything better. It makes everything better that we knocked Jan Vertonghen out of the Europa League. And I, I did. I, I panicked for a bit at one point in the first half when he had that header. Um, oh, I'm but, sure it was in. Yeah, sure. there, it was like, oh, he's hit his head. He's bound to go top corner. <laughs> but he didn't. He has no European football for the rest of the campaign and he's not doing all that well domestically either. So... <laughs> Everything is good again. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, on that bombshell. Yeah, on that bombshell, we'll bring this podcast to a close. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Boys in Red and White podcast. We also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And thank you for your time, Andre. It's been a, a privilege to talk to you as ever. Yes, same to you, my friend. Same to you. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.